Let me add my welcome to the earlier welcomes that you had. It's good to have you with us. Uh, my name is Peter, and I'm going to just uh, share briefly from, uh, from the Bible. We've, we've had messages, really, uh, even apart from the videos, all four baptisms are like four messages. Like Andy said, they're proclaiming something about Jesus and about what he's done in, in people's lives. But I want to talk to us about Easter. Today's Easter Sunday. Happy Easter. And... Um, before I forget, I'm carrying around these gifts. I was supposed to give these out earlier. As, as a, a church, we like to give a little gift to encourage each person who's getting baptized. So, Danny, can I just pass you one for you and Claire? There you go. And I've done the other two already. And for everyone else, since we're in a, a book-giving mode, let me just mention this one. This is called 321. You heard, uh, I think Trevor mentioned 321 uh, on the, the video. This is a book that goes along with the course that Trevor came to. It's called the story. Well, it's called three, two, one. Funnily enough, and then it's the subtitle is the story of God, the world, and you. And it's it's really well written. It, it's kind of like you know when you go to visit somebody in their house and they show you round and uh, here's the kitchen and do you like what we've done and all that sort of thing. It's sort of like that, but instead of a house, it's Christianity. It's sort of showing you around what Christianity is really all about. And so we'd love you to take a copy of this uh, away with you today. Um, there's a whole pile of them just by the door on your way out. Do not be shy. Do not be bashful. We'd love you to take it. And don't feel obligated to sort of, you know, got to read every word because it was a gift or anything like that. I would say give it a few pages. Just get a few pages in and then decide whether you want to keep going or not. And if you don't want to keep going... No problem for me, okay? No stress. But we'd love you to take that. So we've got copies of three, two, ones by the door on the way out, okay? So Christianity is, is a, I suppose you could call it a religion. We don't tend to call it a religion, but a faith, a religion. It, Christianity has a book, right? It, the book is the Bible. But ultimately, it's not based on the Bible, Christianity has a set of beliefs, but ultimately it's not based on just a set of beliefs. Christianity has traditions and rituals. You saw one today that's been happening for a couple of thousand years. But Christianity is not based on traditions and rituals. Christianity is based on a set of events, things that actually happened. And so here we are, Easter Sunday, we're, we're talking about Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. And it's very easy, isn't it, when you listen to Christians talking to think, yeah, that's, that's their kind of, you know, from the mists of time, sort of a myth, bit of a fairy tale. It's nice for them, bit of a crutch to lean on. But you might be surprised, as you've heard us talking and some of the things we've been singing, you might be surprised to know that we believe it actually happened, that Jesus actually existed, actually walked on the earth and uh, went to Jerusalem, uh, which was the plan. He went to the cross, was killed on that cross on Good Friday, the first Easter. He was taken off the cross, buried in a tomb. And then on the third day, on the, uh, the Sunday, hence Easter Sunday, he rose from the dead. And we believe all of that literally actually took place. He, he literally stood up and walked out of the tomb. And we've got in our Bibles four I suppose they're documents, really, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell us about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And the one that we're looking at uh, at the moment here at Trinity, and the one I want to just show you a few verses from, is the book of Luke. Now, Luke wasn't an eyewitness himself. Uh, some of the others were eyewitnesses, but Luke wasn't. But what he did was he researched. 
He went and he met with the people that had seen it, that were there. He, he kind of interviewed. He was very determined to write an orderly, historically accurate, trustworthy account of what took place. And so when we get to the end of Luke's gospel, it's got 24 chapters in it. And the 24th chapter is all about uh, Jesus rising from the dead. So at the end of chapter 23, Jesus' body has been taken down from the cross. It's been carried to the tomb, laid in the tomb. Eyewitnesses saw exactly where the tomb was. There was no mistake about that. And then on, uh, on the third day, on the Sunday morning, Luke 24 kicks in. And it begins with some women coming to the tomb. They bring in spices. They were going to do some, some things to the body, which was kind of standard in that culture. And they came to the tomb expecting to have to move this big stone out of the way. And instead, the stone was moved out of the way. And they were told, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And they were a bit confused. So they went off and, and, and rushed back to the disciples, the, the kind of Jesus' close friends, and, and told them what had happened. And they thought, oh, women with crazy stories, I'm just saying what it says. And, and, and they just kind of didn't believe it. And then Luke tells us that that afternoon there were two other people uh, that were kind of in the broader followers of Jesus crowd. And they were on this walk from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus, about seven miles away. So what, seven-mile walk, a couple of hours, something like that? And as they're walking along, they're all kind of, you know, heads down and not very excited about life. And this third person comes along and walks alongside them. And they didn't realize that it was Jesus, right? So they're walking along, and, and he says, what's up? And they say, what do you mean, what's up? How do you not know what's going on? Are you from out of town or something? Everyone's talking about it. And so they explained to him what had happened, which is kind of, I suppose, funny because he knew, obviously. But... But they said, you know, we thought that this Jesus from Nazareth was the one that God was going to send and that he was going to be the, the one that would fix everything and, and deal with the, you know, all of our problems and make things right. And instead, he's ended up being crucified and he's buried in a tomb. And now, just to even kind of add insult to injury, now they're saying the body's not in the tomb and he's risen and we're all confused. And then Jesus, as he's walking along with them, started to explain the Bible to them. I'd love to hear that talk. As a preacher, I'd really love to hear what he said. But he went through the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and he explained all of the plan of God for two hours as they're walking along. And they were really moved by this, really stirred, but he didn't realize it was him. And then they got to the place where they were going, and they invited him in, as you do. And he came in and joined them for the meal. And as he lifted up the bread, maybe they saw his hands, and they realized who he was. And they, they were like, wow, that's Jesus. And so they rushed back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples. And so they got back to Jerusalem uh, to tell the disciples what was going on. And then we get the bit that we're going to look at. Okay, so that's, that's kind of background. And we come to verse 36. And let me read it to you. It'll be up on the screen so that you can see it as well. Uh, verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. 
Now, I, I don't want to assume anything here, but if you're normal, okay, you might not be, but if you are a normal person, probably what you're thinking is something along the lines of, we don't believe in resurrection. Like, that's not a category that we sort of live with, deal with. It doesn't make sense scientifically. We don't really believe in resurrection. But let's be fair to those people that we're reading about. They really wanted it to be true. Maybe you're thinking something like that. They really, really wanted it to be true. Kind of like when Elvis died. I'm sorry if that's news to anyone that you're disappointed, but when Elvis died, for some people, he was so significant, there was quite a period of time, wasn't there, where I saw Elvis in the laundrette, I saw Elvis at the pizza place, I saw Elvis in the clouds, I saw Elvis in a piece of toast. Like Everyone wanted, not everyone, some people wanted to see Elvis, right? Is that what's going on here? There's a bit of that after Diana died as well. Like, oh, maybe she's still alive. Maybe she's still alive. And there's this sort of desire for somebody special to not be dead. Is that what's going on in this case? I don't think so. Notice that these people are not eager to believe. They're not like dying to believe, no pun intended. Not jumping to believe. When Jesus is there, they're like, no, we don't believe. They're not like some sort of group uh, hallucinogenic moment where they're all like, whoa, you know, this is really special. I think it was Jesus. No, they're like, no, 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 it isn't, it isn't. And Jesus has to keep saying to them, look, touch me. See for yourselves. Check this out. Give me something to eat so you see it doesn't just fall to the floor. I'm not a ghost. He really, really laid it out for them. I am really physically, literally here. I want you to know that. And it took some convincing. And if you read through all four documents, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's repeated. Like in every one, they didn't automatically believe. They weren't just jumping at that opportunity. And you might say, okay, fair enough. But, but you see, we don't believe in resurrection we have no category for that in our worldview, but they had a worldview that allowed for that sort of thing, right? Demons and miracles and resurrections. Well, we need to think about that as well. You see, in, in that time, in that part of the world, the Mediterranean world, the Romans and the Greeks had zero concept of resurrection. To them, it was nonsense. Not a chance that that could happen. They just did not believe it because they did not see it. Okay, well, these were Jews. Okay, but even the Jews actually didn't have an expectation of resurrection. The Jews had the Old Testament. They, they wouldn't call it that because they didn't accept the New. But they would call it the Hebrew Scriptures. And in the Hebrew Scriptures, if you read through them, you'd come to the one clear place that they really build their faith in resurrection on, Daniel chapter 12. And that talks about a resurrection at the end of time and it uses language like shining and stars, and it's like, whoa, it's quite impressive. And so if that's what the Jews were thinking, and these guys were all Jewish, if they were looking for a resurrection, they would be expecting, whoa, like shiny, bright, impressive, and they would expect time to stop. They wouldn't expect it to be on a Sunday morning, and now it's Sunday evening. Do you, do you see what I mean? It's not something that happens in time. It's something that happens at the end of time. And when it happens, woo, it's impressive. And then you read this and you go, well, it's not that impressive, is it? You've got anything to eat. We've got some fish. I mean, that's disappointing, isn't it, really? If you're looking for sort of an exciting moment, 
a piece of broiled, I don't even know what broiled is, but it sounds horrible to me, a piece of broiled fish. I mean, if you were going to make this up, if you were going to get a little committee together and make up the story of Jesus rising from the dead and you produce this document, you'd have to admit it's pretty rubbish, right? It's not impressive. It's not woo. It's just normal. In fact, it's so normal, it's so mundane, it's so real that it seems like it must be true. Why else would you have women coming to the tomb if this was a made-up story? In that culture, they didn't accept the testimony of women anyway. So why would you let women have the first notification? Why would you have the disciples repeatedly coming across as being slightly dense if they were the ones that made this up to establish their power? And why would you have Jesus eating a piece of broiled fish? Maybe it's because that's what actually happened. And Luke isn't trying to pull the wool over our eyes. He's just trying to give us a historically accurate presentation of what happened. You see, we we can sit here and say, I don't have a a, a category in my worldview of resurrection. I cannot get my head around it. But the truth is, nor could they. They didn't have that category either. Whether they were Roman or Greek or Jewish, they were not expecting a Sunday morning, time keeps going, resurrection where the person eats fish. That's not what they were looking for at all. And you see, if, if these guys had done what they'd done and everything had been going well and then it had gone wrong and Jesus had died, they had two options. One option was give up on this whole Jesus movement. It was good while it lasted, but hey, the revolution's over. Or they could have picked another leader to keep it going. That's what these things tend to do. The one thing they would not have done is started making up stories about Jesus being alive when nobody had a category for that kind of idea. You see, the reason Luke writes about this is because it actually happened. Let me give you a, show you a quote here from a guy called Charles Colson. Some of you may be old enough to remember Watergate. Watergate happened, remember, it brought down Nixon in the 70s. Colson was one of the men involved. Let me just tell you a story before I read it to you. Uh, Ten years ago, Melanie and I walked past Charles Colson. We were over in America, and, and it was kind of cool. He, we walked past him, and I said, that was Charles Colson. That was it. I mean, it was, that, we're not, it's not like we're friends or anything. And, He's, he's dead now, but uh, not because of that. But, but this is what he said. Listen to this quote. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Isn't that cool? How in the world could they keep this thing going, even when they were separated, even when they were tortured, even when they were killed, and never once say, wait, 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 we made it up? It's because they didn't. It's because it happened. It's because Jesus actually rose from the dead. And so that means that there are some implications. 
So if we look at the next paragraph, just I want to bring out three simple uh, kind of implications of what we've seen here. Jesus carries on talking to the disciples. In verse 44, he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. See, the first thing that... that is kind of an immediate implication for all of us, is if Jesus rose from the dead and he points us to the Bible, maybe we need to start looking into the Bible. Start looking to see what it says, to make sense of, of this earth-shattering reality, upside-down turning thing that happened on that first Easter Sunday. If the Bible explains it, the Bible's the place we need to go. And then he says, in verse 46... Thus it is written. So here's the focus of what the Bible says. By the way, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, talk to me afterwards. I would be more than happy. I don't know what that is because I'm English, but I would be beyond happy. I'd be ecstatic to help you uh, have a Bible. So please don't hesitate. If you'd like to have one, I can get you one. Uh, Verse 46, Jesus said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That's the point of the Bible. That's the hinge of history. That's the thing to which the whole Bible is is leading us as we read it. That God's great plan from the very beginning was for his son, Jesus, to come into this world, to become one of us, to go all the way to Jerusalem, to go to the cross, not because things got out of hand or things went wrong, but because it was the plan and purpose of God that he should be killed and die on that cross, dying as a substitute, That means dying in our place, suffering the penalty that we deserve so that we don't have to suffer it. Why? Because God loves us so much. And then to prove that God accepted Jesus' death as the, the death that counts for everyone else who will accept it, he rose again on the third day. So the whole focus of the Bible are the events of the first Easter. That's why I said Christianity is not ultimately built on just what this says, although it is. It's because what this says points us to those central foundational events of history. Jesus came, he suffered for us, he died for us, he rose again from the dead. And therefore, okay, so we, first implication, we should look at the Bible. We should start seeing what it has to say. If Jesus rose from the dead, what else would we want to do? Second implication, as we're studying the Bible, we should see that the focus is Jesus' death and resurrection. A lot of people think this book is about turn over a new leaf, be a better person, try harder, be a good citizen. It's not. Those things are kind of fruits, but the real thing going on here is not about our lives at all. It's about God and what he's done in Jesus and how Jesus came and died and rose again. It's like, whoa, really? Yeah, that's what the Bible's trying to do to us. Like Trevor said, you don't know you're asleep until you wake up. That's an amazing line. You don't know you're even asleep until you wake up. But when you start reading the Bible and you come to the cross and you discover that Jesus didn't just die as a historical event, but he died for me, it's like you, cut, you wake up and you go, wow, I never saw that before. I never realized that. I thought it was just about being a better person. And so then, the next verse down, you can see it on the screen there, verse 47. Uh, He says, so Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And 
that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning, with, beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. So here's the logic of this passage. The Bible says this is going to happen. Here's the focus of what the Bible says, that Jesus died and rose again. Therefore, the right response is to turn to him. That's what it means to repent. It means that here I am, here you are in our lives with, with all the stuff and the gunk and the, the luggage and the baggage that we carry around with us. All the things we've said and done and thought that, that made us feel like, oh, that wasn't quite right. All the guilt that's within us, all the things that have been done to us where somebody else did something shameful and sinful and you, you're just left with this feeling of gross. That, that's part of me now. And we've got all this stuff that we've done or that's been done to us, all the great ideas and the big dreams that have crashed on the floor and we just feel like I'm a nobody. And all the issues and problems of life, all of the mess, all of that feeling of of there's got to be more than this, that feeling of surely there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing. I'm lonely, I'm struggling, I'm empty, I'm unsatisfied. There's got to be something more. All of that, when you come face to face with Jesus dying on the cross, then risen from the grave, what he says to us is, turn to me. Trust me. Stop leaning on yourself and trusting in yourself to make things right or to cope or to drown your sorrows or to do whatever mechanism you can come up with for getting through. Stop all of your, I can fix this, I can handle this, I can get myself out of this hole. Stop all of the, I've got control of my life stuff. And turn to me and trust me. That's what repentance is. Turning from ourselves and turning to him. And trusting him and saying, Lord, I want to live for you. Exactly what we've heard from the guys in the pool this afternoon. I want to be yours. I want to follow you. I want to be part of the bride of Christ. That's how Claire put it. I love you and I want to live for you. If you loved me enough to die on that cross, then my response is that I'm going to entrust myself to you. That's what Jesus says is the ultimate implication of Easter. It was God's plan that he should come and he should die. It was God's purpose that he should rise from the dead and that now the message should be preached to all nations and today it is. All across the world people are hearing Luke 24 and John 21 and all these different passages that talk about Jesus being raised from the dead and amazingly all across the world people are going, wow, didn't realize I was even asleep. But now I'm awake to this. And that's what God wants for all of us. I suppose there's a danger, actually, for every one of us in the room, that, that because resurrection is not a category we have, there's a, there's a temptation to go, oh, that was nice, and then just to go back to normal life. But you see, if Jesus actually rose from the dead, if this is a historical fact, just ignoring it's not an option. And so for some, it may be that we're tempted that first time I've ever been to a thing like this, this is a bit weird, that's even weirder. I'm just going to go back to normal life. Let me urge you not to do that, but to, th- to think, to explore, to research, to ask questions, to read the Bible, to, to do whatever research you need to do to figure out, is this true? Did Jesus actually rise from the dead? Equally, some of us have heard this for 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 Sundays. Maybe the danger for us is that this is just normal talk. Yeah, Jesus rose from the dead, first Easter, blah, blah, blah. Right, back to normal life. 
You see, actually, Easter kind of jumps up and says, no, normal life is not an option. If Jesus actually rose from the dead, that changes everything. That means that we've got to face it. We've got to deal with it. We've got to think about it. We've got to ask questions, talk to others, ask God about it. Even if you don't believe in him, he doesn't mind. Just talk to him. Just say, God, I don't even know if you're there, but I'll tell you what, I want to find out more. Would you, would you help me? And start reading the book, see what happens. Read three, two, one. talk to one of us. You know, we've had several messages today, and I want to thank you for your patience. Because not just this message, but these messages. Four times, effectively, the message that was preached from the pool was this. Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and Jesus is transforming my life. Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and he is transforming my life. Every one of them, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and he is transforming my life. That's what we're thinking about today. That's what we want to plant into each one of our hearts as we go away from here. Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and Jesus wants to transform my life. Yes, he does. We encourage you, talk to one of us, talk to one of the people that got wet, talk to someone you've seen up front, get questions answered, say, where do I go from here? Can we meet up? Would you buy me a coffee? Ask anything you like. We are very happy to talk more about this because it really happened. Jesus really did die. He really did rise. And he really does want to bring transformation 